you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Hi, everyone. Roger here. You know, in this week's episode, I'm super excited. I'm speaking with Mr. Ian Palmerville, and he is the director of food and beverage for numerous outlets and food concepts at The Lodge at Spruce Peak in beautiful Stowe, Vermont. Now, I'm a huge skier, and I've been to Stowe many times. And for those of you familiar, The Lodge at Spruce Peak is a luxury facility where the clientele have uber expectations, and meeting those expectations can be a huge challenge, of course, which happens through a dedicated staff. Now, we'll be talking all about those staff training and philosophies and the attention to detail. You know, I always say there's a thousand details in running a restaurant, but when you've got multiple locations, food service outlets across a property, and you're doing weddings and functions and big events, you got a lot of balls in the air. So Ian is super adept at managing a team, leading by example, and setting the stage for extraordinary experiences. There are so many best practices in this episode. I can't wait to share it with you. So stay Stay tuned. Rock stars, let me tell you about Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed for restaurateurs by restaurateurs. Effective labor management is more important than ever to maximize profit and success, especially now as restaurants begin to reopen and expand their teams. Trusted by over half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, easily manage time and attendance, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use and trust, turning your team into a competitive advantage to your business. Right now, Restaurant Rockstar's listeners can get three months absolutely free. Get started now at sevenshifts.com forward slash restaurant rockstars. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com forward slash restaurant rockstars to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Now on with the episode. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast gauging topics that help restaurants and hotel operators rock their profits, build their brands, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. With me today, Mr. Ian Palmerville. He is the Director of Food and Beverage for the Lodge at Spruce Peak in beautiful Stowe, Vermont. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thank you very much, Roger. Looking forward to talking with you. Thanks so much. Um, I normally start, Ian, by asking my guests what their backstory in hospitality is. And sometimes it goes all the way back to being a teenager, you know, working their local McDonald's. It could be almost anything. And then what their you know, career trajectory has been that led them to the current position. I'm sure you've got an extensive food and beverage history. Where did it all begin and how did you end up at Stowe at the uh, Lodge at Spruce Peak? Sure. Um, so I actually started uh, in uh, Pizza Hut of all places and and then in an Applebee's, kind of working phones to cooking and, and so on, really kind of fell in love with the industry um, and ended up going to culinary school up at Paul Smith's. Uh, while I was there, I had the opportunity to uh, work for the Lake Placid Lodge and for The Point uh, back then when it was owned by the Garrett Hotel Group and, and had a wonderful experience there for a couple of years as well as working for the Hotel Saranac and really continued to fall in love with the industry as a whole. Um, thankfully, I had a fantastic chef that I was working for at the time and tutelage under 
um, which allowed me to grasp early on that I wasn't uh, necessarily culinary creative enough to run a kitchen and be the executive chef someday. And so kind of swapped from the back of house over to the front of house um, and pursued hotel restaurant management uh, down at Rochester Institute of Technology and finished my degree there. Um, a friend of mine who was actually the COO of the Lake Placid Lodge Garrett Hotel Group uh, decided to open up a Moe's Southwest Grill franchise in Vermont. And so I had reached out to him and he had reached out to me uh, and kind of helped him do that. Um, uh, Philip Wood, actually. And so worked for them, him and his wife, for an extensive period, helping them build a Moe's franchise here in the Burlington area, um, which was just a really great opportunity uh, for me starting out as a general manager, became the director of operations, got to build some new restaurants, actually built the first green lead certified restaurant in the state of Vermont for construction, as well as the first one for the Moe's brand. Um, and it was just a cool opportunity. Then I took a break from that. I went down to Boston, uh, worked for Starbucks, Legal Seafoods, um, and really kind of honed in from a management side those skill sets and really learned from those great companies how to better run my business, how to build better relationships with my staff. Um, both are just incredible organizations and very different. Um, you know, one's family run, one's a very large corporation. Um, and so it was just a great opportunity to do that. I came back to Vermont, uh, to Moe's. They were having some struggles. They asked me to come and kind of consult and help them out, get things back on track. I did that for two more years uh, and then came here to Stowe. There was a general manager of restaurants position available. So I did that uh, and I've been here now for just over four years and been the director of food and beverage for two Um and it's, it's worked out really well. In particular, my variety of different experiences and different types of outlets has served me well in my role here at the Lodge, where we have many types of outlets that have different levels of service and different types of service. Uh, so my background in all of those different atmospheres has really helped me be successful here. I totally see that. How many outlets are you? Uh, do you have responsibility for within the Lodge? Uh, we have a total of seven to eight different outlets uh, across the property and usually four to six open at any given time. A couple are seasonal, obviously things like the aqua pool bar isn't open in the winter. Uh, and then things like the upper lobby space of the hotel in the summer isn't open because we have a lot of outdoor space, but then we function it as a restaurant or part of a restaurant in the winter. So we flex back and forth between a couple of things. There's probably no typical day in the life of a food and beverage director at a busy hotel property, especially one that's uh, in the Hyatt fold and you know has such an exclusive clientele as the Lodge at Spruce Peak does. But can you describe what an average day would be in your week? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, there's a, it's a lot of moving parts, right? So uh, a good chunk of my time is spent trying to work on sort of the next season. I very much try to stay a season ahead. So I'm always looking and researching new opportunities and looking at what's going on in the marketplace to see where we should be going and what direction we should be going in. Um, and the other part is spent very much in the operations. Um, I cover shifts on the floor even now uh, just to make sure that things are going well and, and be able to check in and be able to stay in touch with my staff because to me that's really important. Um, and I have found no matter how many conversations I have with them, I can't 
you can't stay in touch with them the same way you can if you're actually on the floor in those shifts seeing what's going on. And that's always been a huge priority of mine and, and one I've been proud to be able to maintain even as I've been promoted into larger and larger positions in, in larger and larger properties over time. So, so that um, sounds like you lead by example, clearly, which is a fantastic management trait. How would you describe your management style and how do you develop a rapport, respect, and you know, inspire your people to do their best? Uh, it definitely lead by example. Um, I challenge myself to work harder than everybody else. Um, if you asked my staff, they would probably tell you the same. Uh, I am, you know, I try to be sort of the first one in, last one out most of the time and not for any other reason than I really kind of enjoy it. I enjoy the days. I enjoy being part of operations. Um, and so that I think comes across to my team very much. And I've been there enough with them in the trenches, in the folds, uh, especially because I was promoted from within. So they knew me running the restaurants uh, firsthand that I was there with them, that I would be in the trenches with them. I'm always here on the busiest shifts. Um, and that's my priority, right? I want to make sure that if I know that we're going to be busy or we've got a major event or whatever it is, they know they can count on me to be there for that, that I'm not, you know, punching out because it's four o'clock in the afternoon and, you know, I got things to do or around a golf to play. And, um, I, they very much appreciate that. And the other important part for mine is communication. Uh, I talk to my staff regularly. Uh, they very much, it's why I'm still on the floor because I tried to have an open door policy, come by my office, but no one ever comes to my office. Uh, it's much easier to go find them in their space and talk to them on a shift. You know, there's some downtime in the morning and catch up with the morning crew before it gets busy. Same thing at night, do, go to lineup and then hang out and just kind of chat with everybody and not really have formal conversations unless they're necessary, but really trying to have more of an informal just catching up because I find staff are much more willing to share in those moments than they are if we're sitting down having some formal conversation, whether it's at my office or at a table in the restaurant. So your approach, I would say, lends itself to longevity of staff, but this entire industry has been devastated by the labor challenge that continues to be a huge problem across the board, whether we're talking about hotels, restaurant operations, whatnot. Are you finding the same challenges? And if so, how are you dealing with it? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, you touched on it, right? Retention is critical. Um, so, but yes, absolutely still facing the same challenges. And, and I think nowadays, my philosophy for a long time, and I had actually learned from the owners of Moe's, you know, is that our goal was always to be, and it still is mine, is to be the employer of choice, right? I want people to want to work for me, to want to be a part of the experience that I'm providing or that my property is providing. I think that has to be the goal, especially nowadays when you're competing with literally everybody and the employees certainly have their choice as to where they want to be. And the other side of that too, that's been a part of my personal philosophy for a long time now is, is realistically like we're all short staffed nationwide today, but I've in Vermont, we've been understaffed as a state for at least the last eight years. It's been a solid, like 2013 is the last time I remember not having to look at an application the second it came in and, and look to hire that person. And so I've, I've changed my philosophy around, you know, it used to be, hey, you want to handpick your team to get just the right people on it. 
And I really look at it more now that the team kind of chooses that they want to be here. And then my responsibility is to leverage the individual's talents and strong suits and skill sets to fit the job that I need done. And it's, you know, much easier for me to spend my time maybe training a little bit more or teaching a little bit more or supporting a little bit more to keep those people here and to find out what skill that person really has and how they can best contribute to the success of the team rather than trying to replace them because I don't don't really like the way they, whatever it happened to me. That mentality has really helped me over the last few years keep better people and, and find homes for people that I probably would have written off years ago and just been like, eh, they're not a great fit. Um, nowadays, I ha- they have to be a great fit. So how can I do that? And I've, I've gotten better employees out of it over time. Um, and the team appreciates it because you can help the team. You know, you have those core all-stars. How do you make sure that the team is somebody they want to be with because they have to enjoy and not feel like they're covering for those people either. And so you can find the right fit and find the right talent, then everyone works together better and is more successful. Stowe's a true year-round destination resort, and some would say it's busier in the summer than it is in the winter, even though it's the ski capital of the East and all that sort of thing. And with that comes tremendous competition, lots of restaurants, lots of bars, that sort of thing, all of which need to staff up. So have you found it particularly challenging to compete with other employers in the area? Do you have incentives in place? It's like, how do you build your dream team and keep them, you know, keep them the retention piece and then keep them inspired to do their best on a daily basis? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of competition and it's hard too because, you know, in a town like Stowe, which you're familiar with, we're the big corporate hotel up on the hill uh, as opposed to all the local bars and restaurants and so on in the area. And, and there's always some challenge there, especially where there were the one-off. It's, there aren't, you know, there's not a Hyatt and a Hilton and a Marriott down the street that we're competing with. We're competing with all those local establishments and in Vermont, that's an extremely important thing. And, and so it is a fine line. Uh, one of the big things as a company that we do that Hyatt does really well in particular and is great to be a part of is the benefits that we're able to offer our employees. Uh, you know, and my servers are all full-time, if they want to be, uh, full-time year-round staff, which means they get full benefits. They're getting PTO. They're getting healthcare. They're getting 401k. They're getting dental and, and gym membership and a free ski pass and golf membership and all of those things. And so I think there's a lot of that added value. Um, we certainly at the moment, we do have like sign-on bonus programs going on and, and so on, but we find much more success with talking about the benefits side of things because that's a lot of things, you know, it's a year-round destination and we all have downtime. I mean, there's certainly mud season and so on, but I have a much better chance of guaranteeing somebody's hours even through the slow season than a lot of the smaller restaurants down in town. Um, because we do have a captive audience here during the off season that are still coming up and we're still going to have some people kicking around um, as well as the budget to pay for those people. And, uh, you know, I've always appreciated to me, I'd rather pay somebody to do some extra work and find them some hours around the hotel than lay them off to try to rehire them when the season picks back up again. Um, and so that for me has also been a major part of my philosophy and retention. It, it costs me less to pay somebody through the off season than it does for me to go out and find somebody new every six months. 
And so I think those things in particular help tremendously when, you know, we're competing with other local businesses uh, for the same, you know, the same four employees. Uh, and obviously we use the international staff as the other piece of it. You know, we have a large, significant international program between J1 visas, internships, and H2Bs uh, for the hotel, which is pretty standard in, in ski towns and certainly in rural spots like ours. Was that somewhat cut short or cut at all during the pandemic based on restrictions yep. entering the country, leaving the country, all that? And how did that impact you? It was. So last year it was canceled entirely. The entire J1 program was canceled. So that was uh, just in the F&B department alone, we lost 40 or 45 people um, that we would normally have just in our summer program. Uh, for the winter, you were able to still leverage the H2B program because people who were in the country already could stay in the country. There just weren't new people coming in on those visas. Uh, so we were able to capture a good portion of our culinary team and some front of house staff through the H2B program that we normally use. But again, that's, you know, maybe 30 people all in compared to we usually have an additional 30 or 40 J1 in, you know, people uh, and students here for the season. So you have all of that kind of going on. And certainly this summer, we're continuing to have impacts from it because not all countries are as, um, as, as far along in the process, I guess you would say, as we are right now. Um, so our culinary team was supposed to come from India. Uh, that has obviously changed. Um, trying to find a solution for that, working with other consulates and, and, and sponsorships. Um, but, you know, continuing to kind of navigate those waters and it's definitely had an impact on our overall staffing ability. Last year, we were short roughly 40%. Um, in where ideally we want to be, but we were able to flex tremendously uh, to be able to leverage the team we had and do amazing things. So it worked out. I owned restaurants in the state of Maine for about two decades, and we had employees that came from Argentina and Peru, and we found their work ethic and their practices to kind of blow away the American workers. And I don't know if you're finding similarities with that, or if your training program is so robust and so, you know, on target that you get everyone up to the same level of performance because of the guest expectations, what would you say about that? Well, I think mean, as you touched on, the guest expectations here are certainly high. I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's a, it's a four-star, Forbes four-star property, um, and we have to operate that way regardless of the type of outlet, right? Whether it's the coffee shop, the pool bar, the fine dining restaurant. They all have to perform at a certain level, and, and certainly with the ADR that we have here in the hotel, um, there's demand for that level of service because they're making choices between this premier destination or Aspen or the, the, the Alps if they want. You know, they have their choices to where they want to skate. Uh, so very much making sure that we are able to maintain those levels, and we do have a robust training program to get everyone there. And from a, we find with the local staff in particular, our local staff are typically career people. So we don't have a whole lot of seasonal, I'm in between college gigs sort of staff from our local team. Our local team are very much people who have been servers and bartenders for 8, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. They're people with mortgages and families and you know, all of those things. Um, so they're not dabbling in the industry, they're living in the industry. And that makes a big difference um, from that work ethic standpoint, because they have 
a purpose to be here for a long period of time and way more investment. So they want to see it doing well. Um, and those are the same people who really appreciate the benefits. They can be a full-time server and support a family here and have full benefits and, and all of that. So, um, but yes, I agree. I, we always find fantastic work ethic from the international students that come. They, they come, they really want to work hard and, and they respect the job and, and do a great job as well. You know, Stowe is not an inexpensive place to live. Do most of your staff need to commute perhaps from Morrisville or some other towns, especially challenging during the winter when there's snowstorms going on and all that sort of thing? Does that impact your service at all? I mean, how does that all work out? Yes, uh, they do. Um, we have a good portion of our staff live in actually in Morrisville or in Johnson, you know, uh, those places. It's easier as you know, you're aware of the area to come over the notch. You can get here in 20 minutes or you can get here in an hour and 20 minutes. Right. Yeah, the big loop it. around. <laughs> you got to either make, right. So in the winter, you got to make the loop around. In the summer, it might be a 10 minute drive. Yeah. Uh, I actually commute from Charlotte. So I'm a solid like hour and 20 minutes away anyway. Um, but we do, uh, we did a couple of years ago, it was great. We invested and actually built a dorm here in town uh, for our international staff so that we could house more and they'd be closer. We're able to provide shuttle service and all those type of things. And the mountain and the hotel work together to uh, fund and help offset the cost of uh, the local bus service, providing bus service around town up to the mountain, which is free. You know, those type of things to be able to help solve some of those challenges. But, you know, of course, you're in winter and you're in winter in a mountain town. So, yes, storms certainly affect those things. And, of course, on the flip side, when the storm hits, you have less staff because they can't all get here and you have more guests because they can't leave and go into town to have dinner. Uh, those are always the, the funnest days. Let's talk about, if you don't mind, your staff training program from, say, onboarding through, you know, daily, weekly routine, trainings, pre-shifts, all that sort of thing. What is your operating practice when it comes to, you know, meetings and trainings and a new person comes on board? How long before they actually have responsibility, tables of their own, serving guests versus shadowing veterans, that sort of thing? Yeah. So we have... Um, so I've put together, it's a basically about a 10 day sort of two week uh, time frame with some checkpoints throughout that. It's a combination program. Uh, so it, there's a lot of knowledge to it. So there's some classroom time, right? Where we do, there's a menu class, there's a steps of service class. And these aren't like an hour. These are like half day, go through things, talk about things, food classes, taste all the food and all the sauces and so on. There's a whole bar, you know, bar and alcohol service class, and that's like an eight-hour day of tasting liquors and trying wines and going through all of the things and all the different types of service and talking about all of that information. And all of that's provided in their training manual as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then the actual training manual is a 10-day plan. There's a checklist for every day so that when they come in, their trainer is able to know what items they've worked on, what day they're on what position are they doing today, those type of things. Uh, and then at the end, there's a validation service that they have to do before they're allowed to have responsibilities on the floor. So they actually have to serve, you know, one or two managers, myself and another manager might have a meeting and kind of have lunch and we go through and they serve us and we go through the entire steps of service and do a validation that way to make sure that they actually are on board. We, you know, of course, there's things like we do the allergy policy and all of those type of options, make sure they're marking and so on. And that methodology, 
and that structure I actually uh, used at Legal Seafoods was their training model, and it worked so well as a corporate trainer for them uh, that it just it helped make sure that everyone was at that high level of service standard um, when they hit the floor. And it doesn't matter if I've been doing this for 20 years or two days, I'm going through the same program. So just because I come in and I've been serving for 15 years doesn't mean I get to fast track to the last two days and prove to you that I know how I'm doing. Like, no, no, no. You still got to come. You got to do your 10 shifts. Um, the other important part is that when we're doing this, that I always have been a proponent of is they always do support roles first. So you're starting by hosting, food running, you know, busing tables you're going to do those roles and those shadow days first before you're actually on the floor and twofold, you know, one, so that you actually have an idea of what's going on and how the building works before you're actually trying to take tables and, and all of that. Um, but I also found, right, what happens when we're training somebody and it's Saturday night and all of a sudden the restaurant's full, that trainee gets like shoved in the corner. They just get ignored. And when they do that, they are not learning anything. And then on top of that, it's a negative experience for them because they don't really they can't help. And most people in the industry, like we want to be able to help out. And so what I have found is if I can train them to be a food runner and where stuff is in the building or how to host, we get slammed and the server so weeded, they really can't train them at the moment. That's okay because I can take them and put them on a food runner and they can still contribute to the success of the restaurant and they can feel like they're contributing to the success of the restaurant. As a result, that onboarding process, even when it doesn't go ideally, is still successful for them and helps reaffirm from them, oh, we're a team and I can help contribute to the team and they can see that. Um, I've found that to be a much more successful methodology in general, um, whether it's on a simple format in a simple restaurant concept where they're just providing support roles and learning where everything is the first couple of days. So they know if somebody yells at them, hey, can you go grab cups? They know where to go get cups and they don't have to feel like, oh, where is that again? And they don't have to ask four questions and feel incompetent, they feel knowledgeable and they feel confident right away. Guys, I've always believed in systems to run a really effective restaurant. They say you have a system if you can walk away and leave your place for a day, a week, or a month, and it's just as successful, just as profitable when you return, if not more so. Now, the staff are really the foundation of this, and it all comes down to the word empowerment. You know, if you've got really great people and if you can develop those people to have your back and to run it as if they owned it, treat everything as if they had to pay for it, that's a super powerful system. Once you have the staff in place, it really comes down to three things. It comes down to, one, staff training development, recognition, and rewards to create what I call your dream team, how to empower your team to think and act like owners and to treat everything as if they owned it and had to pay for it, and to deliver amazing guest service experiences to your customers, to serve and sell because sales are the lifeblood of your business, not allowing order takers on the floor, but teaching everyone to recognize opportunities and make suggestions that we know the customers will enjoy and appreciate. It all comes down to training, training, training. Number two, cost controls and maximizing profit. You need to know your critical financial numbers on a weekly basis, and it only takes 10 minutes, but you need to understand these things. How about your daily break even? How much it costs you to open the doors to your restaurant each day? 
Inventory is not just walking around and figuring out what your order is that week. It's knowing the true value of your goods on hand at any given point in time. And you need this information to be able to calculate your true food and beverage costs. Your labor costs are also important and running a weekly labor analysis against sales. If you know these things, I can teach you how to maximize your profit and control your costs. And then number three is what I call marketing firepower and affinity. You know, affinity is defined as a really powerful sense of loyalty and belonging where your customers become raving fans and they're like an army of brand ambassadors spreading the word for your restaurant. Well, all of this is included in the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. If you really want to take your restaurant to the next level, post-pandemic, things are heating up, customers are coming back, Now's the time to really maximize your opportunities, maximize your sales and profits, and create that dream team staff. Check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. It's the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. How about recognition and rewards programs? Are there nominations by guests for superstar employees? Like, tell us about some of that. Yeah, so we, a couple of different programs. So we use Revenate as our sort of guest feedback for the hotel. Uh, so there's, we have a whole name recognition program. You know, if you get your name called out in reviews that come back to the hotel, uh, it gets put in the, in a Dropbox for a drawing every month. Uh, and then we also have a great program that our general manager of restaurants put together that he'd used in other establishments where he's got these cards and they're all at the host stand and they're in the server area and he gives them out to the different directors of the hotel and so on. And so anybody can fill out a card and recognize, you know, when somebody really went above and beyond, you know, whether it's helping each other out or a director's like walking through and notices somebody just killing it with a guest or whatever that is. And they, we have a drop box and the cards get collected in the box. Uh, and then every week we go through and kind of recognize it lineup, like on Friday and Saturday when the most of the staff are here, we'll recognize everyone who got recognized that week. And then on top of that, we'll do a drawing. Everyone who had got a card, um, we'll do a drawing for a couple of different prizes. You know, there's a f- beautiful full service spa here. So we'll draw for like a spa gift certificate or dinner in the restaurant gift certificate, those type of things. Um, so there's like multiple levels of recognition where they're both getting some weekly mention right at lineup in front of all their coworkers. And then on top of that, the opportunity to sort of, you know, win a little something, uh, and we blast out to the hotel, Hey, this person, you know, won this month and really try to share their success with the building as a whole, uh, so that it's not just internal, but it's really kind of getting recognized in front of everybody as much as possible. Uh, and that's been really positively received. And, you know, over time, the number of staff to staff cards, which I think are really important, um, have really gone up. And, you know, on the front end, it, no one really kind of made the effort. And the directors were doing most of the manager on duty was filling out one at the end of their shift kind of thing. Um, but nowadays, you know, just the server to server, bartender to server, like, hey, I was weeded and Joe really came over and helped me out that night and got me out of it. And, you know, was really appreciative of it. Um, those little things, I think, do a great job to increase the camaraderie amongst the staff, but as well as really encourage that, yes, we're a team and we recognize each other and we're in this together. So, and it's worked really well. 
So consistency and quality are actually paramount in, in your business. Can you describe, say, quality control procedures, checks and balances on plate presentations, attention to detail, all those things just to maintain the consistency and the quality the you know the customer expects? Yeah, we you know, there's a couple of things. One in particular is again, it goes back to why I like to work the floor, because I want to see what's going on. Um, I can, you know, see the way the buildings being maintained and it allows me to, you know, see cocktails going out and all those type of things in the middle of service. That makes a huge difference. Uh, our executive chef or chef de cuisine, uh, whoever the chef is running the shift um, from the culinary side is always in the window, uh, really making sure that every plate that's going out is at that level. Um, it's not some line employee just kind of banging out plates. There's always a chef kind of making sure every plate that goes out, whether it's in the fine dining restaurant or in the barbecue, you know, that person is there making sure those plates are going out the way they're supposed to be and to spec and so on. Um, and it, so those steps in particular have make a big difference. And I think making sure that your manager are truly on the floor is, is key to making sure that all of that's going on all the time. Right. I think if you're, if you're managing from your desk or from a computer somewhere and you're hiding all the time, you're not going to see what's going on in your space. And then you won't notice that your service isn't there. Or your uh, steps of service aren't on point here in a hotel too. Uh, to be honest, a lot of managers have lunch in restaurants. Uh, so I get feedback pretty quickly. Uh, if something's not awry, um, you know, they'll, they'll go to the restaurants pretty regularly. So it helps you stay on point because you know that like, you know, the other directors in the hotel or other department heads are having meetings while they're having lunch in your restaurant and the staff are aware of it. So they're always very much on top of those type of things. Uh, same thing, you know, the sales team will eat. So in the restaurant regularly hosting clients. And so there's always sort of a constant feedback loop um, to make sure that, Everything is on point and ready to go at all times. And, and I think, too, it's important to stress with the team. Like, it, this is just the way it is. It, this is the standard. This is the way we're going to function. Uh, and doing your best not to let it slide when it gets super busy or, you know, all of a sudden you're short for the day and you're running around. And so you can't let the standard slide then because then it just becomes okay. And, you know, continuously looking for it and just pointing it out it doesn't have to be it's not a critique. It's just, Hey, heads up, you know, can we make sure we're doing this? Can we, you know, can you check that plate one more time for me? Or where's the garnish for the drink, those little details. And the more you can reinforce them, the more you have the buy-in and the staff consistency around it. And the training program is critical to that too. That's your opportunity to set the expectation. Do you actually execute the training program that you put in front of them? If you say it's 10 days and you're going to fill out the checklist and you don't use the checklist and you don't and you do like four and a half shifts and then you just throw them on the floor, well, then you've already shown that we're not consistent with policy and, and that we're not going to really hold you accountable for it. So all of those little things, I think, make a big difference. I always believed that every staff person was responsible for sort of monitoring their own area or the hotel or the restaurant in general and seeing things before the guest sees things and fixing them, being empowered to take care of things that are amiss because not every manager can be in every part of the hotel or restaurants at any given time. I'll give you an example. Last summer, I, um, actually it was before the pandemic, so it was two summers ago, I, uh, my wife and I stayed in a luxury boutique hotel just outside of Boston for a friend's birthday party. And this was a nationally known high-end 
chain that owns this particular boutique. So we pulled up the grounds, the landscaping, everything's immaculate. You walk in, the lobby's beautiful. The greeting was exemplary at the front desk, the check-in process, all that was fantastic until the experience wasn't. And the very first impression, we get into the elevator and we go to our floor. And for some reason, the elevator was programmed to open. There were two doors. It was a double-doored elevator. And the very first door that opened was into the maintenance closet. And there's all the cleaning supplies and the cart with the brooms and the mops and all that kind of stuff before it actually opened onto our floor. I'm like, wow, that's not such a great impression. The next thing that happened, we're walking down the hall And there's room service platters and dishes outside of two different rooms as we're kind of walking down the hall. You got to avoid all that stuff. You turn around the corner and housekeeping had actually thrown a bunch of sheets and towels and stuff. And they're all piled up in the hall. And this is our impression as we walk to our room. And then we walked into our room and the room was spotless other than the fact that the windows got missed. And it's like the last family that stayed there, their kids put their handprints all over the windows. And this was not an inexpensive property, and we enjoyed our stay, certainly, but these are the details that sometimes get missed unless people are empowered to fix what's broken before the customer sees it. I'm sure you can relate to that. Oh, definitely. And I think empowerment is key, right? We we always want to make sure that everyone has the ability to fix problems for people. Um, You know, I always empower both my managers and my staff i tell them you know if you whatever you feel you need to do to solve the problem whether it's for the guests or in you know too in from the management side if you have a situation with an employee and you want to fix it or work through it or whatever it is go ahead and do what you feel is right and you know my philosophy has always been if i don't like the solution you came up with like we'll talk about it for next time but i'm not going to like change it in front of you know, the employee or in front of the guest will go ahead and, you know, find a new solution for the next time around. But don't worry about getting, you know, yelled at or in trouble or, or whatever it is for finding a solution and executing it. Um, and, and that's always been a big part of my philosophy in terms of dealing with both issues and little things that come up is just go out and find a solution and get it dealt with. And, you know, if we need to find a better solution next time, we can certainly do that but you're not going to get in trouble for fixing something um, or identifying a problem and and finding a solution for it or communicating about it. And I think removing any of that possibility of critique has always helped in getting the staff and the the managers to be like, Oh, okay. I feel like I can actually go and do something and that there's not going to be some repercussion because I chose the wrong thing. So don't worry about choosing the wrong thing. Just go solve the problem. You talked about there being so many pieces to what you do and your extensive hospitality background and experience. But in addition to having a full hotel and busy restaurants and a busy summer, you've got weddings, you've got corporate meetings, you've got to shift gears constantly and make sure that the service is consistently great across all those food and beverage outlets on top of the planning process that goes into putting on a fantastic wedding, you know, with hundreds plus guests showing up and corporate meetings and all that. It's like, God, how do you keep all the balls in the air? I have a really amazing team. Um, I work very hard and very closely with my team as a whole and really try to find the right talent to manage those things. 
I'm very blessed in that regard that I have a very good team of hardworking individuals. We have a fantastic, you know, management team in the restaurants, but there's also a fantastic director of catering conference services who really has an amazing eye and years and years of experience to dial in those events um, and work with that team. And because the reality is right at the end of the day, like I can't possibly do all of those things. And, and so I spend a lot of my time just making sure that we're going in the right direction, that the plan is in place. Uh, it takes more meetings than I would really like probably. Right. Spend a lot of my days. Oh, yeah. Meetings. I was going to ask you about meetings. I mean, do they, are you a big believer in meetings? Would you rather not have them? Is there a better way? Like what's your feeling on that? Um, I wish there was a better way, but at the same time, you know, the, the number of people like you have to keep moving forward and the number of people involved, like on a property of this scale, whenever there's a major event going on, like if you go to our website and see and look at our events calendar, we have a full concert season this year we're running plus a farm dinner series and all these other things. The coordination to pull all that together takes many departments and many, many people. And so while the meetings can be long and, and there can be a lot of them, I think I've got like 14 today in a 10 hour day. Um, you know, yep. the flip side of that is they, they still can be productive uh, thanks to Teams and, and things like Zoom. You know, we at least I'm able to do some of them from my desk so I can get some work done while you're sitting through meetings and, and so on. But at the same time, like it has to be a collaboration effort. And I think that's where there is still value in those. Like, you have to be able to have an open discussion because not everyone's experiences are the same and everyone has different priorities and when you're, if I only looked at everything from an operational perspective, then they probably, the events probably wouldn't look as good as they will when the sales team or the catering conference services team chimes in about making sure the event actually looks and has the right look and the feel. Uh, I might make sure it's super efficient for my staff uh, and the great from the guest perspective in terms of they'll get their food and their drinks and it'll be quick and efficient. Um, but that's, that doesn't necessarily account for the experience and the experiential people don't always remember that like somebody actually has to execute the amazing idea that they've just had. Um, and so collaborating around all of those things, I think still requires that group mentality. And it's a thing that we do here. I feel really well. I mean, the, if you, the amount of events and the amount of change we've gone through in the last couple of years and growth, as a property and as a, as a village here at Spruce Peak has been fantastic and wouldn't be possible without all of those different pieces kind of working together and, and coming together to pull it off. It takes a village, right? As they say. Absolutely. Yeah. You've achieved some pretty extraordinary performance and I was really amazed to learn and our audience will be amazed to hear how you actually had record sales increases with a third fewer tables February of this year versus a record year, same time last year. How'd you achieve that? And how is that possible with less or no bar operation? I mean, tell me all about that. That's incredible. Yeah. So we had two outlets in particular that had just fantastic growth year over year. Uh, one was the in-room dining piece um, where we converted to online ordering and we converted to delivery instead of plates and, and all of those things. 
nice elevated program, but it was delivery. And we were able to go from 45 orders on a busy night with two people running in room dining, two or three, to being able to do 80, 90 orders on a busy night just because of online ordering and and being able to bag and go and bag and go orders. You know, one server could take three rooms worth of orders pretty quickly. And it was faster for us to take the orders because you weren't sitting on the phone just taking orders constantly. So that helped there. And we ended up doubling uh, year over year the uh, in-room dining business, which was just fantastic. And then the Whistlepig Pavilion, uh, which is the outlet you're referring to, mm-hmm. they <laughs> it was something else. Uh, we had started, I mean, this is a venue that is an apres ski sort of spot usually open like 12 to six or 12 to nine on the weekends. And it's packed. I mean, the thing is walk up only no reservations, you know, come find a seat, communal tables, very much like a ski lodge where you're just, you're sharing a table with three other families kind of thing, a line at the bar constantly. And so we thought for sure this year with capacity restrictions and staffing challenges, we ended up having to cut the hours short. We went 12 to six, four days a week. Um, we thought for sure that we were going to see significant drops in revenue, um, even if the guests ended up showing up. And instead, uh, we, we switched POS systems this year and were able to get to tablet service and pay at table devices. And that combination combined with the reservations actually made the space more efficient because now there weren't a hundred people at the bar in the way of the server trying to get from the table to the bar to pick up the drink, to get back to the table. The kitchen wasn't overwhelmed because we were managing the flow and the servers didn't have to run all over the place to like take an order and go place orders in. They're standing table side and they're just plugging away orders and they're plugging payment away. And so all of those things combined, we actually ended up with almost 20% growth year over year from February of last year to February of this year. And then March, we, we did 24% growth for the total outlet revenue of the department for across all outlets combined. Um, and that was, it was unfathomable at the time. Um, and it really worked out well. And what was amazing was the technology leveraged it so that the staff were having a better experience. And so was the guests. The guests were able to get their drinks faster and their food faster. So we were turning tables faster, even though we were managing it. And we were not allowing for this chaos to ensue. Um, and then the staff, because they were more efficient and having a good time and making more money, they were in a better mood. They were in a better mood. They moved even faster and they had more fun with it. Uh, one of the bartenders, he became like the cocktail server because we didn't have, we couldn't have walk-up bar service in Vermont. So he took a tablet and a payment device and went outside in the winter on the, on the terrace and around the deck and started taking cocktail orders outside. But of course they can go instantly to the kitchen. So he's able to bounce from guest to guest to guest and take three orders at a time and then go inside, grab all the drinks, hand them out and be done. Well, now the bartender is making drinks faster because they're not dealing with somebody in front of them. They're just cranking service bar essentially. Mm -hmm. And that person, the cocktail bartender was having so much more fun. I remember there was one weekend I went out there on a Saturday morning and the guests who had been there for the week were all outside cheering in his name, like waiting for him to punch in and show up outside to start taking their orders. 
And that whole environment just kept growing and growing and growing. And so um, it really proved to be not only a more efficient model, but it was it created a best, better guest experience, which increased check average, which increased revenue, um, and certainly profitability. And so, yeah, we cut the tables by 30%. We cut the staff by 20 30%. And we cut the hours of operation, and we grew revenue. And so as a result, next winter, regardless of what policies are, you know, we won't... Uh, we will have reservations and we'll have table turns and all of those things. Um, we also created new offerings. Uh, we took, there are some pergolas opposite. There's an ice rink in the middle of the village. Um, I don't know if you've, you've probably seen the ice rink out there and there's pergola bays at the other end from where this restaurant is. And we converted those into reservable space and you could reserve a pergola and have your family attend. And, People were not only paying for the rental, but they were crushing food out there. Um, they were, and we could have the tablets walk all the way out there and they could take orders right there and send them back to the kitchen. They could take payment all the way out there. They're an ice rink away from where the restaurant is. And yet they're taking orders and taking payment. And so they were also so much faster um, in what they were doing because by the time they walked back to the restaurant, their order's already ready to go. Uh, so all of those things has kind of created this perfect storm in a positive way of efficiency and fun and monetary value and all of those things. So, so. technology has obviously played a huge part in this success. Yes. You know, you couldn't have done it without what platforms could you not live without in the past and now moving forward? This is just rock solid essential for the business. Yeah, so we we actually converted to Oracle Symphony POS and and have just had a fantastic uh, relationship with them for it, and it's worked out really well. And and on the Hyatt side, we are the first property to use Symphony and pay a table, um, which is with Shift Four, and that combination has just drastically increased our staff efficiency. And I think you know as we look forward, one of the big things you know, for me is I don't know what five years from now is going to mean in terms of what operations I might be trying to run and how they might work or what we might need. But I know that there's going to be technology involved in that somehow. And one of the things I really like about our relationship with Symphony and Oracle is that there, I know that if there's a third party vendor out there that does some service I'm looking for, my odds on being able to pair it and integrate it with Symphony in some way are going to be pretty high. Um, they're not a standalone system. There are other POS systems out there that stand by themselves and they have their own solutions, but they don't play with anybody else, which means if you want to play another way, they might not work out for you. And, and so that was really a critical piece of that. And it's made a big difference for me, um, and being able to continue to evolve and so on. And, and actually now I'm working on a new online ordering platform. Uh, we had picked one last year that operates completely unintegrated and now we're in the process of using a different platform that's fully integrated where my guests will be able to place an order online. It'll print directly on my kitchen printers, you know, and so as we look at the staffing challenges that the nation is facing, you you have to really ask yourself, okay, if I'm never going to get the staff then, but I want all the guests, then how can I make my staff better at what they do and still enjoy their job? 
right? The goal can't be everyone has to work 80 hours so that I can cover all the shifts that I want covered. The goal has to be they need to enjoy being here and they should be here for a reasonable amount of time and be able to go home and enjoy their family and, and so on. And we've seen that this year, that that's a priority for people. So we can now leverage technology. It's finally caught up with the industry to be able to do that for our staff, create a better environment for them while still creating a highly elevated experience for our guests. Um, and I think that pairing of those two is is just going to be critical to the long term, you know, the long term nature of the industry. That's fantastic. Let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about. It used to be that hotel restaurants were kind of an afterthought, and people would stay in the hotel. But unless there was something really amazing about the ambiance or the offerings or the marketing, perhaps people would always leave. And in a town like Stowe, where you're literally driving into this Courier and Ives village, and then you're turning left onto the access road, and then you got 30 or 40 iconic restaurants that have been around for decades, that have reputations, that look like a lot of fun. It's like, how do you capture the public's imagination to keep them spending money in the hotel, food and beverage properties when there's so many choices in Stowe? The variety of options has been a huge help to that. So when I started, we had you know about two, two and a half sort of restaurant um, options on property. And then we had the pool bar in the summer. You know, nowadays we've expanded drastically. So we have a food truck and we run a sushi operation in the winter and we have a speakeasy bar and now we have a barbecue restaurant and the raclette program in the winter and then the main restaurant. Um, so having all of that variety certainly helps that because the guests know that they can hang out here. The rooms here are comfortable. You know, these aren't rooms that you just stay in and go away. They're very comfortable rooms. There's a lot of suites. There's a lot of apartments and homes and those type of things as well. So people are more inclined to stay on property for sure. Um, but then the other part of it is really kind of going after the quality of the experience. It has to be an authentic and highly elevated quality experience for them to want to dine here. Um, the executive chef, Sean Blomgren, has done an amazing job at partnering with Vermont Fresh Network and over 45 partner farms to create these great relationships. We have a ton of local product and because we buy in the quantity we do, we're able to significantly contribute to the local economy and to the local farmers on a daily basis. Um, and it's a great source of pride for both Sean and myself to be able to do that. It was a it was a big priority of ours as we took over the department to be able to get to that point um, where we were really working with the local groups to be able to do that. And, and we've been successful in doing so. And that's another big thing that we're able to do that we can even market and get locals up here where they see that, Oh, like we are investing, even though we're big and up on the Hill, we are investing in the local market um, and supporting the local farmers. And that's really important too, for us to gain business and get the local recommendation. Right. That's, that's the other way you keep people on property is the locals have to say, yeah, I, I love eating up there. If you haven't had, you know, the whistle pig apre experience after skiing, that's where you need to be. Uh, last year, we did a whole, we converted our banquet hallway into a sushi lounge um, and really expanded the program. But we put five igloos out on our terrace. And here in Vermont, we were like one of the only ones with this igloo program. I had locals coming from all over the state 
hanging out and crushing sushi and seeing what a cool experience it was and, um, you know, posting on Instagram and all those things. And, and that drove more local business, but then our guests see it, right. They're looking at social media before they get here. So they see those recommendations online. So they're more likely to come as well. And I think all of those things kind of tie together to do that. Well, Ian, we've covered a lot of ground today. Have we missed anything? Anything else you want to talk about? No, I don't think so. We've covered a lot of ground in an hour. Well, you've shared so many nuggets of key learnings that are just a huge benefit to our operator audience. So I certainly thank you very much for your time and and sharing your expertise, your knowledge and best practices with us. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks to the audience for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode. That's a wrap, Ian. Thank you so much. That was great. Thank you, Roger. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Guys, thanks for staying with us. What a great episode. And it's always amazing to talk to someone with such expertise in running an operation so well dialed as the lodge at Spruce Peak. And of course, what does it take? It takes having each aspect of every single outlet completely dialed. And that takes systems, of course, knowing all the ins and outs of the critical numbers and all the staff training and all the attention to detail that go into delivering amazing guest service experiences. That's what we're all seeking to achieve. If that is something that you're looking to put in place in your operation to have it so dialed that it runs itself and you've got a dream team staff, why not check out our Restaurant Rockstars Academy? It is a series of systems that focuses on what I call the three fundamentals or the magic dust of running restaurants. That's cost controls and profit maximization. That's staff training, development recognition and rewards. And of course, marketing firepower and building affinity or a really powerful loyalty from your clientele. It's all at the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Thanks again for tuning in and thank you so much to our sponsor of this week's episode, Seven Shifts. If you need labor management software and an all-in-one platform, check it out at sevenshifts.com. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.